Hello, and welcome to the Measure Up Podcast, a show dedicated to helping marketers and analytics professionals know what's working, what's not, and how to measure it all. Join me, Jim Genolio, and my co-host, Simon Polden, as we talk to people just like you who are dealing with the marketing measurement challenges in today's world and learn best practices, tips, and actionable advice. Do you trust your MMM model? I mean, really trust it? Do its recommendations stay up to date with your real-time marketing performance? This episode is brought to you by Recast, the MMM platform that puts speed and verifiability at the core of marketing mix modeling. Recast's MMM platform updates every week and automatically backtests itself. That means you can continuously verify Recast and use its output for in-flight media optimizations. Marketing teams at Harry's, Rocket Money, Masterclass, and more are using Recast to optimize more than a billion dollars in media spend every year. If you want to learn more, head over to GetRecast.com and subscribe to their Marketing Measurement Roundup newsletter or book a demo of their MMM platform. That's GetRecast.com. Now, onto the episode with Josh Dodson. Hey, Simon. Welcome to uh, 2024. Ah, it's it, what, what a wonderful year. I'm I'm excited. I'm refreshed, and I'm uh, I'm re- I'm ready to go. Yeah. I'm excited. This is this is going to be a really fun year for us and for the podcast. Yeah, you know, this will be our first full year. So it will. Uh, we have we have high we've, we've set up a high bar, high expectations, and yes. uh, and hopefully we'll meet them. I think we will. Um, you know, we were talking the other day. Some you, you went to UCLA for college, right? I did. Go Bruins! I've got uh, for anyone watching the video stream. I've got my little uh, my old Joe Bruin. Uh, Funko right here, because um, I was Joe Bruin. I was the I was the mascot. That's, I was the guy in the bear suit. That's right. Were you like the yeah. one at the basketball games, like dunking off of the trampolines? And well, <laughs> see, that's the the Chicago Bulls mascot is the one who's taken to this next level <laughs> of doing like these acrobatics and stuff. I was more like the mascot who would like do some like layups and stuff, right. uh, and then just like go find children in the audience because they love you. So. That was really that that, that was the the height of it. Okay, well that's good. You but know, yeah, like, go Bruins. So so do do you remember what what factors went into your decision to go to USA? Oh. Was it was it because they promised you the the mascot position or <laughs> that was on that was a big part of it. Uh, no, it, <laughs> I, there, there were look there were so many factors in in, in the decision. Yeah. I you know I, I moved here from New Zealand and um I I've I'd heard of UCLA. In fact, I do remember the very first advertising touch point that I had was oh. when I was, uh, um, I think I was eight years old and I was in eight. New Zealand. I know it was an out of home, uh, billboard by the airport in New Zealand. And it was an ad for an airline called Qantas. Uh, and they had, uh, it said you like Y-O-U and then S-E-L-A. And I was like, UCLA, I don't understand what that means. And my parents said, oh, well, it's a famous university in America. Uh, and, uh, the, you know, it's a, it's a play on that. And I was like, huh, UCLA. And that internalized with me. So even though it wasn't UCLA uh, <laughs> touch point, uh, try and measure that. The effect of uh, uh, airlines advertising on university admissions. First touch. Yeah, no, yeah. lots of factors, you know. Even when I moved here, I was like, I don't know. There's so many options, so many great options. And, you know, there's a lot of research, a lot of, lot, of, lot of studying, a lot of asking people, a lot of going on forums, trying to figure out, is this a good school? Does it even have the, the, like the majors or the degrees that I want? So... You know, a million factors went into it. Yeah, at least a million. You think if you had to maybe, I don't know, attribute your enrollment to various marketing channels, do you think? Oh. I mean, obviously the airport ad yeah. uh, probably <laughs> the gets airport the bulk when I was eight. of the credit. Yeah, you know? that was significant. Yeah. No, it's it uh, it would be very hard. I mean, certainly uh, uh, the digital experience that I had uh, was it was a significant one, but there was you know, TV. I, I was watching football for the very first time. And so I've seen these ads yeah. on TV going like, oh, okay, like UCLA, uh, not just a cool name, but also like this great research institution. They've got all these really, you know, exciting uh, things that they're doing for the world. So yeah, all of that impressed upon me and ultimately led to the decision, course, finances, all these pieces. Yeah. And, and of course, you know, this, this is the, the measure up podcast. So we, we do it like is. to focus on measuring things. And, you know, when I hear about that story and I've, you know, I, I've went to college myself and I kind of think back to my experience of like, what drove that decision, like mm. trying to measure the, the various marketing touch points or the various decision nudges right. that were there. Like it seems impossible, right? Like, well, it's such a it's such a long process. It's a it's a it is a logical decision, but it's also a highly emotional decision. And so it's one of those just I don't know. It's like buying a house. Like 
what are all the factors? And you're like, I couldn't tell you. There's so many that went into it. Yeah. And it, like you said, it's such a long cycle. It's like, yep. you know, people talk about like buying your house is the most expensive purchase you'll ever make in your life. It's like, yeah. maybe for Try some college. people, some people might be college yeah. might be the most expensive yeah. or right up there. Right. So like, it's definitely a very, very considered purchase. Uh, and, and measuring all of these activities is, is very difficult, but fortunately, Simon, we have the expert today. To oh, help, we do. To help us and our listeners and viewers, shout out to YouTube uh, watchers. Uh, we have the expert help us understand the landscape of marketing measurement in the higher ed space. Uh, very difficult space, but he's going to unpack a lot of this for us. Uh, so today we're joined by Josh Dotson. He is the founder and CEO of Honed, I'm sorry, founder and CEO of Honed Consulting, a consult, uh, consultancy that provides marketing measurement for higher education, including something near and dear to my heart, marketing mix modeling. Uh, he's a frequent presenter and keynote at conferences, many in the higher education space, like the Higher Ed Analytics Conference. He was vice president of innovation at Vision Point, uh, Vision Point Marketing. He was a course instructor for higher ed experts. He was director of digital marketing for Bentley University and an associate vice president of digital marketing at Southern New Hampshire University, which is where our paths crossed uh, about seven years ago or so. Uh, he spent more time than anyone I know obsessing over marketing and, and analytics in the higher edu education space. And if I can not stumble through the rest of my words, I will now say, welcome to the show, Josh Dotson. Woo Thank you so much. It's uh, fantastic to be here with you all. And I'm thrilled to be able to talk with you today. Absolutely. Like, so we're, we're going to get into this in a little bit, but as I'm like reading through the, the, the intro there, um, and uh, I, my my thought was like you've been in the higher education space, um, and very you know I, I didn't even mention all of them. You were at other universities as well. Um, what is it about higher education that has has captivated your your curiosity? Yeah, well, I think for me um, the idea of continuing to learn and uh, being a lifelong learner uh, myself. You know, I, I have a couple of master's degrees and it. Um, most of a doctorate finished and, you know, I just continue desire to learn and, and kind of grow myself and also wanting that for other people. I know how much, you know, getting degrees helped me uh, in my career, learning new skills and, and things like that. And so uh, the desire really for me is to help other people kind of find that path as well. Plenty of people have, you know, grow up uh, in less than ideal circumstances and situations. And, and I think education is one of the few roads that can help people take people from whatever situation they're in and place them kind of on equal footing and, and allow them to, to grow and develop into, you know, what they will become. And, uh, and oftentimes that means moving, you know, social economic, uh, variables and things like that. So for me, that's, that's been a lot of the draw for higher education is helping people to, to get there. I know that the, the sort of the big question of whether that is actually what's happening, um, you know, mm -hmm. in, in higher ed right now. Um, but I like to, I like to think that it still is at least in quite a few places. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that sounds, that sounds way more admirable, uh, of a, uh, kind of a mission driven objective than what I go for. I, I just, you know, I just like to yeah. make the money, pay the bills, and, and learn a lot of cool <laughs> new technologies and things. And but I mean, yeah, that's way more admirable. I, yeah, <laughs> I really like to help folks like find like new types of cat food. That's my uh, <laughs> that's my mission of why I do analytics. But no, that, that that's also and, and yeah, when you when you see you're, you're talking at conferences in the academic space, I go, gosh, they must light fires because I remember giving presentations in college and, and going as an undergrad to the, like I pre presented at the Stanford psychology symposium. And, uh, it was just grueling the rigor that I had to apply to the analysis that, that I was putting together for, for the proposal for, for the presentation and just, um, knowing the, again, the academic rigor, uh, that is required to, when you're presenting in these environments, you know, it's really, you know, you're, you're, uh, you're like, I like to hit home runs. And you're like, well, let's go, like, go try and hit them in this ballpark that's got, you know, 600 feet, uh, 600 foot, uh, uh, you know, outfield walls uh, at really, really low altitude. Uh, anyway, <laughs> on with the show. All kinds of analogies today. Indeed. Um, yeah. So, so the main, the main thing for today's episode is marketing measurement 
in uh, the higher education space. But before we dive into that and talk about a couple of really meaty topics, uh, I want to give uh, give you a chance to give a brief introdu- introduction to yourself uh, and Hone Consulting. Um, talk a little bit about how you got to where you are and uh, the work that you're doing with Honed. Yeah, thanks, Jim. Uh, so Honed Consulting uh, launched last year, 2023, and um, I had sort of taken a, a break from uh, any of the consulting work uh, for a little while. And uh, as I was uh, kind of, I guess, in my downtime, starting to do uh, explore, figure out some of the new things that are available, some of the newer technologies, um, I learned uh, that especially a lot of the new newer open source technologies that are that have come out in the past few years, uh, really only only the past uh, what five years or less, uh, a lot of these. And so learning these new tools, um, you know, for example, lightweight and um, Robin and and some of the others that you know Meta and and um, you know, there's a bunch of different frameworks out there that can be used. So I was exploring this and started um, uh, talking with a, a client and they were interested in uh, doing a little bit more, kind of learning, figuring out what's working with their uh, their marketing. And I said, well, uh, this is a little bit different. I've done a lot of predictive modeling and, and things like that in the past. And this is using a similar approach. It's kind of going old school, um, but I wanted to, uh, you know, bring in some of the newer um, features and, and capabilities. And so we tried it out um, and it sort of uh, grew from there. I've been able to bring on a number of clients in that both the higher ed as well as the higher ed adjacent space uh, since then. But we focus exclusively really on uh, marketing measurement, specifically, uh, primarily marketing mix modeling. Um, but we do some additional things too, like um, uh, you know causal inference, you know, geolift studies, things like that. But um, but that's kind of where where uh, where we are now, and um, really looking forward to twenty twenty four and and uh, anticipating quite a bit of growth in this space. Yeah, I mean you're you're hitting all all of my favorite buzzwords, so I'm I'm going to be having a fun conversation. I, I can tell. <laughs> nice, nice, love it. Um, yeah, it's 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 been it's a really interesting space net right now. I mean, there's a lot of change that's been happening, and I think a lot of folks maybe have seen some of the highlights of things that have been going on in higher ed, sort of, um, you know, what's what's been happening even over the past few weeks with uh, with the various college presidents and the controversies. Mm. There's always some kind of controversy, um, but it's, it's a really interesting time because we have these new challenges that we're faced with uh, trying to remedy those. Well, can, can we expand on that a little? Like, when you're thinking about the... Because when I think about marketing measurement challenges, obviously I know that there's a lot of uh, different unique elements in, in, in different industries. But you know, we were talking earlier about like just incredibly long cycle and, and all these factors. What do you see as the the, the major challenges that that in, you face uniquely in the higher ed measurement space? Yeah. So um, I think there are a few things that are, um, if not unique uh, to higher ed, at least. Makes sets it apart a little bit in hmm. terms of uh, the type of uh, product that we're marketing. It's a it's a degree uh, usually, and trying to convince people that they a need a need a degree, need to come to this institution and get this specific degree. I mean, there are a number of decisions along that path, and um, and kind of looking at it at the higher ed sort of space, you know, the the challenge really is to as much as possible capture data on each of the various touch points to your point Simon the the um, consideration cycle for higher ed you know can be as long as two years uh, in some cases um, it, it might be much shorter depending on the program or the institution that you're working with a lot of online programs might have a shorter consideration cycle um, but yeah two years uh, up to two years is that's a long time I think even my um, my oldest son, uh, he's 16 and, and, you know, junior in high school and already getting all kinds of uh, mailings from, from yeah. various schools across the country. And, and it's amazing because I think back to, you know, when I was, uh, even just considering high, uh, going to college, uh, you know, it wasn't quite to the extreme that, uh, he's been getting all of these early, uh, letters and stuff so early. Well, yeah. And there's the, there's the, um, 
folk, there's the, the efforts from the colleges to reach out to juniors, right? Um, and that's kind of like the, the known marketing cycle. They know they need to reach out to them sooner and earlier and get in their, get in, you know, top of mind for them. But then there's, there's even, it goes beyond that, right? It's, it's, it goes to branding, right? To Simon's point, like UCLA, he became aware when he was eight years old and that like, yeah. You, you can't tell me that there's not something about that that didn't stick in your mind that somehow, even if a little bit influenced you partly. Right. Yeah. Um, that's just like one example. I'm sure yeah. a lot I mean, of people have. I, I think, you know, name ID is certainly pre the consideration phase here, but there's something I think as I'm hearing this, I'm like, okay, there's something here. I listen to a lot of political, political uh, statistics podcasts, like the 538 podcast where they talk about uh, like name ID. And I'm like, okay, this is kind of like political measurement in that you, ha you, ha you have to pulse both the sentiment of society at a given moment in time, as well as individual propensity for certain things. And then obviously this is a different type of investment decision, but you can make the case that a vote is one of the most important things you can possibly do in your life. And so, you know, it's, it is a very highly considered thing for, for a lot of folks, which, hey, apparently all the TV shows are saying, now we're in a presidential cycle. I'm like, We've been in a presidential cycle for three years at this point. Uh, <laughs> this is the tail end of it. But that means we've been going on for three years of marketing already. It's a very highly considered cycle uh, and very hard to measure just like this. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 you know, yeah. Branding, right? Like, like you said, like name recognition, like Harvard, MIT, Stanford, yep. like that's, that's decades and, and centuries in some cases yeah. of, of marketing, of branding uh, that's, that's happened that, puts them where they're at. So there's, there's so much complexity and, and to try and like tease out and say like, oh, you, you spent this much in AdWords this much. What, what did it get you? It's like, well, right. there's a lot to unpack. We'll find out in two years. Yeah. So, <laughs> but but uh. kind of getting back to sort of the, what sets, you know, higher ed, what, what's different about higher ed than direct to consumer e-commerce or B2B or SaaS or something like that? Like what are the, 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 particular challenges that that higher ed faces i know you mentioned um the the trust issues we've, we've seen in the news with with presidents either being let go or stepping down um one thing you mentioned to us uh in the prep call was and i love this phrase the enrollment cliff i'd love for you to talk about that a little bit yeah sure so the enrollment cliff is something in higher ed uh that has been talked about for a few years now uh but essentially, if you think back to 2008 and uh, the financial crisis back then, uh, it makes sense that a lot of people decided, you know, they might not want to have as many children, uh, you know, or, or maybe hold off and have children a little bit later. And so the birth rates started to drop since then. And, um, you know, fast forward uh, 16 years, you know, that's where we are today. And my 16-year-old son being recruited for college. And so if there are a lot fewer uh, people kind of his age and younger that are coming out of, of high school, um, that really limits the options in terms of uh, allowing colleges to recruit, to get uh, more students and, and so forth. It increases the, a lot of the competition, um, you know, and so that that enrollment cliff is, is really a, a big deal. Um, and uh, as I mentioned, the, the competition, of course, but also, it's required a lot of colleges to even reconsider what they're offering at all. You know, what are, what is the product um, that they're offering um, and, and start to think about it more from the perspective of, you know, what does the, what do they want to do? What, what kinds of topics do they want to learn about? What's going to help them in the job world, things like that. So they're having to change as a result of all of this, they're having to change what they teach. They're having to, to change the way that they're approaching marketing in general, because not only not only it, it, do they have a greater competition with that younger uh, kind of just coming out of high school pool, uh, but also they had to start really looking at a new audience, which is the adult student market. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, schools like SNHU or where I was at, where, where I met Jim. Uh, you know, at at the time, you know, the schools SNHU was growing so rapidly. It wasn't yet the first. Uh, the largest um, online nonprofit institution in the nation, but it was almost uh, at that mm. time and it was growing. And, and a big part of that is because they knew to look for a different audience. They knew to bring in new techniques of marketing measurement and different approaches. 
And um, right now, I would say many, many institutions, the vast majority, well over 90%, um, haven't even started taking steps to really get to that um, place, aside from putting programs online uh, as, a, as a result of the pandemic. But so many of them uh, really are kind of um, not sure exactly what to do because they're already starting to see some of those declines in enrollment. You know, the thing I love about this conversation so far is that it, it shines a big broad light on more than what we're used to thinking about or talking about, right? We're always like, oh, Google Analytics and this report, mm-hmm. and I'm measuring my website visitors and how many people fill out my contact form. And like, you know, as we kind of take a, take a step back and think about like, what are all of the things that are influencing what I'm seeing in this report, right? And like the questions that your stakeholders are asking you, like, why is enrollment, why are enrollments down? Why are, you know, visits mm. to our, our contact us page down? Why aren't people filling out our, uh, visit our campus, you know, lead generation form, whatever. It's because your total addressable market is shrinking because something that happened 16 years ago, completely out of your control. But like, you have to be aware of all of the other contextual variables that could be making your Google Analytics report go down and to the right instead of up and to the right. You know, like it's, it just kind of shows you that like you, you really need to have a broader perspective and understand the business, which I'm all for uh, pushing that. So, so, so what are those main uh, avenues for folks that, that are being used for advertising or just, you know, awareness in general at this moment in time that is, that, that, that's driving uh, folks to, to consider higher ed. Sure. So the, I think um, a lot of the higher ed institutions are um, have borrowed from the e-commerce playbook a little bit. Um, you know, mm. I would say the vast majority uh, is attributed mostly accurately to Google ads, uh, driving mm. a lot of, of the paid side of things. Um, but I would say, you know, I've worked with hundreds of schools and and looked at hundreds of different, you know, analytics accounts and and seeing uh, the vast majority of the traffic to the website and the vast majority of um, the sources for the leads that come in tend to be more of the organic sources. People are going to Google, they're typing in something, they're trying to, you know, learn a little bit more. The, uh, the organic sources really played a huge part in that, you know, 70 percent more or, or more um, for, for most of them, usually well more than that. Um, and it's it's then trying to figure out the the different paid channels that they're trying. What levers kind of just within the paid channels can they pull? Um, and those tend to be, as I mentioned, the Google ads uh, tends to be mm-hmm. a big one. Facebook for a long time was a big uh, component, a big part of the spin. I would say there's still often a big portion of the budget that's kind of reserved for print still um a lot mm. of print uh you know sending out you know catalogs uh you know um view books we call them uh in the in the space but sending out these different marketing materials um and and also there's a very heavy reliance at some institutions especially the ones that have have grown to be rather large um there's a heavier reliance on that personal customer experience um you know that having that phone call talking to that mm. person and then um, allowing that conversation and experience to sort of um, integrate as part of the uh, drip campaign kind of with all of the other marketing that they're receiving uh, in emails and so forth. Um, so it's, it's interesting. Oh, sorry. Oh, no, it, it's interesting in the, in the mix that you, um, you didn't, I, I don't believe you noted CTV um, or, or just TV more broadly. And, and I put that out there because I, like most folks, I think in, in, in America, um, don't watch that much TV but I do watch live sports. And when I watch live sports, I'm often watching obviously pros, but I love college sports. I love college basketball, I love, love, love college football. And I always like those, I just get inundated with university ads during those periods. And I go, this is probably actually really high quality inventory. I'm watching a very related uh, sporting event. Uh, and the fact that you're tying into academia makes a ton of sense. Um, that seems to me like uh, uh, maybe one of the strongest avenues for that um, uh, 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 institutional regard, right? Because because this is part of the challenge too. Is it's not just like are you aware of this university? It's if you go there and you tell someone I went to this school, are they going to be like what? 
I've, uh, what, what is this a clown college or sorts? You know, <laughs> uh, it, it it becomes this sort of it's an interesting balance of like it's sort of like uh, I forget what it was. You know what it is in Utah? I was told this that because uh, I saw a Domo ad by the uh, out of home Domo billboard by the by the freeway, and I was like, why is Domo advertising on the freeway in Utah? And what I was told by my friend out there was that the reason they advertise there is because, and this is uh, uh, the, what, what, what he shared with me, is because the wives of the husbands who are the engineers at Domo want to be proud of the fact that their, their husband works at a company that everybody knows. And I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> what, a, what a bizarre and also like 1950s kind of like housewife mindset attitude. But at the same time, um, you know, one of those sort of like, a, yeah, well, especially for younger students, like, will my parents be proud of me for going to this institution? And I think the, the, there's a lot of that in terms of how do you build up that sentiment and think about the marketing of just that component of not just name ID, but uh, 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 regard. What, what are those factors, by the way? Like, what, what, what are you looking at when you're thinking about building up that awareness? Like, what, what, are, the, what are the key metrics? Uh, building up better awareness, yeah. So I think there are a few factors to look at and some of the, the pieces that... Um, I, I want to kind of touch on a few a few of the things you just mentioned. Please, yes. So sports, for example, you know, that does tend to be a factor. And sometimes it can be a very large factor, sometimes a small factor. Um, I would say it's one of those um, components where I would encourage each, each institution to do their own analysis. Because I've, uh, I've worked with a client, for example, where we incorporated some of the, even the sports trend analysis, the trend data from uh, Google Trends, for example, uh, as part as one of the variables um, in, a, in a marketing mix model to try to understand, mm. uh, you know, the contribution of sports or at least the interest in sports um, over time uh, at that mm. for that specific institution. Yeah, so or if you're like, if you're in Ohio State or a Georgia or a, a Michigan, that is, you know, how right. do they do in football this season? How are they doing yes. in basketball? Like that has to have some weight right like you know, right and that's 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 got to be so hard too though to to incorporate it's like it a chunky a middle though cause cause right. yeah yeah because like at the top when you're like i don't care how harvard did in football <laughs> right it's yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, it's gonna yeah like like you said uh josh it's gonna be different for each specific institution right if it's a big 10 sports school versus an ivy league school versus a like a school that i went to which no one has ever heard of <laughs> you know it's much different considerations yeah, definitely. And it's an, it's important, I think, to find a way to represent that in the analysis and as part of the data set that you're, you're looking at, um, if possible. And I think, you know, also to, um, to Simon's point uh, earlier, it, it reminded me of so many institutions that I've worked with that have had some version of this where uh, a trustee member really, really loves, you know, the fact that there's this billboard uh, on the way to work <laughs> and you know the whether or not the billboard produces any students is a right. entirely different question but the trustee member loves it and so because of that they'll put the the billboard there it'll always be there because of the trustee member and so i think it's there's definitely a lot of the sort of i you might think of as old school politics almost mm. at play within the marketing too um and i think being able to look at the the data points and to be able to see, especially with an approach like marketing mix modeling, where you can actually differentiate, kind of pull the pieces apart to understand mm -hmm. what's going into it, you know. And at the end of the day, one thing I love about marketing mix modeling, uh, and Jim, I'd love to get your thoughts on this too, is that with a lot, not all of the clients that I've worked with, but often um, they can do more with less of a budget. And um, because of that, I always recommend, well, that extra budget, if you want, you can use that as an experimental budget, right? So take that, start experimenting with the leftover funds, and, um, and then we'll incorporate that into the analysis next year. But um, being able to um, experiment with some of those new channels and kind of see, well, maybe this is a little bit more effective than that trustee's billboard, you know, by his house. Uh, it's something I think that's, that's worth, uh, worth considering. Yeah, or you know, we can keep the we can keep the billboard, but let's not fool ourselves into uh, what we're getting from that money. Right. <laughs> what we're getting yeah. for that money is that trustee's happiness. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Or for better or worse, donor recognition, right? Because I I think what we what we're all circling around here is 
university marketing is complicated inherently because there are multiple different outcomes that you want to achieve with it. And one of those is enrollment. Yes, of course, the university has to stay alive. But equally as important, probably, I, I know UCLA thinks it is because that's all they contact me about, <laughs> is how much money can you give us? Yes. Uh, and my, my response was, I gave you a lot already. Uh, because I uh, paid to go to school. But no, it, it is one of those things, though, where uh, the value of that kind of uh, advertising, I don't think necessarily would have that direct alignment. But I, I guess it's the how do you balance that and how do you think about the relationship between sentiment, name ID, uh, uh, you know, unaided awareness with the donor uh, pool as well as the uh, enrollment. Yeah, You're exactly right, Simon. I think that, you know, it is easy to forget about the donor aspect of things. Mm -hmm. um, interestingly enough, in a lot of uh, higher ed institutions, marketing is still under advancement, uh, kind of mm -hmm. that donor side of the house. Um, yeah. And so uh, for a lot of folks that they're, they're already kind of steeped in that world a little bit, right. you know, thinking about some of those things. But it is important. And um, I would argue, you know, doing separate analyses of, of each kind of part of that would, would is beneficial and possible. Um, we've been able to get some really good returns on donations as, as well as on the um, enrollment side, but on the advancement mm. side, getting better uh, returns on donations when you can actually put out a test and see what, you know, which, which version of this works better. Yeah, that feels like a much more you know, like straightforward, cut and dry, like we sent out this email, version A, version B, which one got more donations, right? Like, a lot, lot easier on that side than on the on the enrollment side for sure. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I'm I'm wow. wondering. Yeah. Oh, go ahead, Simon. No, no, you go, you go. Yeah, I, I, my my brain's swelling, I know, so I, I, I'm just going to go in multiple directions <laughs> simultaneously. <laughs> yeah, I'm, same same here. But like the thing that keeps this coming to my mind here is like we've been talking a little bit about marketing mixed modeling in the higher educa education space, and I'm I'm wondering if there's been pushback on your side, have you seen clients or, or other institutions be like, I don't know, like we, we have this pixel on our site and Google Analytics gives us this, you know, data driven attribution thing. Um, has there been pushback against more of a, a probabilistic methodology versus their, you know, what they've been used to for the past 10 years or so? Um, I would say for me, at least uh, with all of the conversations that I've had around, some of the newer approaches, I, I would say that there's two main things to consider. The first of which is they've been um, preached at, including by me, for years and years and years, Google Analytics, it will help you make sure mm -hmm. you tag everything, add some pixels to your site, you know, make sure that you've customized everything. And there's still some benefit to that. And I'm not, I'm not saying, you know, throw all of that away. Um, I, and so I think part of it is understanding like, the place of it now, it, and it, Google Analytics um, is no no longer, you know, sort of at least I don't believe should be considered the default uh, attribution source, right? It's good for all kinds of other things, but in terms of just attribution, for a long time it was considered the source of truth um, mm -hmm. for for many institutions, and I was part of that, you know, encouraging more and more um, expertise in that area and trying to do more. Then GDPR came around and higher ed definitely paid attention because uh, there have been you know, multiple institutions who have been sued for less. And mm -hmm. um, you know, so things like that, they, they, they take very seriously Section 508 compliance, all of those um, types of things that they want to make sure that you know, privacy policies, all of that's updated on the website. What, what is, sorry, what, what is 508 compliance? I'm not familiar with that one. Oh, that's like usability, um, screen readers, okay. things like that, making sure gotcha. that your your website. And so, you know, colleges get sued and they have to pay All lots right. of money if they if they get caught and not and don't have an accessible site. Um, so that's one aspect of it uh, is just sort of the continued message and belief that Google Analytics is the only answer or at least the primary answer. Um, and then the other side is, but this is really interesting and it looks cool. And I know something about AI that's happening right now. And so mm. this sounds very promising. And I, I remember something from statistics class about maybe predicting va values. So for a lot of uh, people I've talked to, they've been really interested in it, but it's also been a bit of a um, challenge to break out of the old mindset 
um, and a, a kind of uh, a really tackle a, a tackle the marketing measurement challenge in a new way. Um, again, you know, I, I I preach a little bit of a both and now. Uh, you know, make sure like don't get rid of Google Analytics. Still do those best practices. You know, tag everything. All of that. It's still important. Do that. It's just this next side where we're going to take some of this data and actually match it back into the CRM or whichever system is being used and be able to do some predictive modeling around that. Um, you know, I think that, frankly, the the type of modeling that I'm doing today um, wasn't, it didn't exist five years ago, right? So it's the kind of thing that um, with these new technologies, it's tricky because you have to, A, accept the overall theory kind of approach of it, and then also trust the newer technologies as part of it. Yeah, yeah, I think Robin's been around what uh, three and a half years now. Uh, when they so, first released that, mm -hmm. yeah, and I'm not sure about lightweight exactly, but I know they've all kind of, you know, it's been in that range. Yeah, I, I want to say lightweight was like two and a half, maybe. Yeah, and I'm probably uh, 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 getting yeah. the dates of the papers wrong, but I'm thinking for some reason 2016 has sticking out in my head as the year that Google put out the papers around uh, Bayesian marketing mix modeling. Mm -hmm. That's the, basically the theory behind how they were doing that with lightweight, but. Yeah, it's very, very, very new in our specific space of digital yeah. analytics, marketing analytics. Yeah, or at least the yeah the democratized access to it. Right? Yeah, exactly. Because I think for a long time there was this the ideas have been swirling around for a long time, um, but the accessibility is is has been always been the gap there. Um, and look, I think there's still a bit of an accessibility gap to most marketers uh, and, and and most folks who are going through this and. For better or worse, that's why we do see this default uh, activity to lean into what Google has. And I mean, Jim and I both talk about being recovering uh, MTA-aholics. Uh, we're, we're, you know, yeah, we're <laughs> for years we, we preached the gospel and, and now we're heretics. I, th I think we're going to have to start a drinking game where every time Simon yeah. says recovering uh, multi-touch attribution aholics, we, we take a drink because... Yes. Although that could be dangerous. <laughs> yes, yes. Then, then we actually would have to become recovering alcoholics. <laughs> so. yeah. Many, many types of recovering alcoholics. Indeed. So uh, I'm yeah, curious. Yeah. Um, I know Josh, you've been doing a lot of marketing mix modeling in in the higher ed space. Are there are there any trends or surprises in the data? Things that that you looked at and thought, wow, that's interesting, or maybe something that you see across multiple different institutions that that kind of sticks out in your mind. Sure. There are a few things that I've noticed. Um, and actually I'm going to, I'm going to tie one of them back to, uh, the time when I, when I was still working at SNHU all those years ago. Um, one of the things at that time that I learned, um, myself just being around, uh, so many smart people and, and getting a chance to work with really, really brilliant individuals is pulling in some data sources that you might not have thought about before. Um, I know Simon earlier, you mentioned, for example, um, TV commercials, right? And, and that's a big part. And so one of the things that, for example, I, I always recommend, you know, in, include GRP data uh, and mm -hmm. as part of that marketing mix model, um, include what you can for the offline channels, the billboards, the, you know, the posters uh, and the t things like that, uh, transit uh, advertising, you know, include the data that's available. And um, usually you can get something. You can almost always get something uh, it might not be the best data. It might not be, you know, everything you want, but you can usually get something. And so for me, uh, a learning is that um, really a lot of the offline channels um, have been much more effective than uh, than I had, had ever realized. Um, in fact, so, some of the um, uh, analyses I've done even recently found that uh, traditional TV and cable TV both um, had a very significant impact on enrollment, um, you know, and so, uh, you know, things like CTV as part of your mix, you know, also continuing to try traditional, continuing to try cable and some of those old school channels, maybe uh, it, they have a place still. I think that's kind of been the, the biggest learning for me is that uh, just because so much can happen and, and is happening in the digital space, that doesn't mean we should ignore the offline space. Mm. Yeah, well, it would be interesting to see too. Like, you know, you see the trends where like more and more uh, ad budget is going into digital, especially like CTV, it's going away from traditional TV into CTV. Um, which I, I I don't know 
I haven't read anything recently around like the levels of spend there, but like at a certain point, you know, you always hear about, well, traditional TV is so expensive, right? At, but at a certain point, it's the, the scale's gonna tip. Mm-hmm. And some at some point, probably in the not too near future, traditional TV might be really cheap comparative to CTV, right? So like, you always- Well, that begs the question of inventory availability at that exactly, point, right? Because yeah. uh, the reason, I think part of the reason for the shift is also years ago when I was chatting with folks in the, in the, in the TV space, it was a, uh, well, we're not ready for this. We think it's CTV is really novel. We just don't have the buying uh, uh, methodology or the, the, the infrastructure to support that type of buy. And now they're all making that, that, that move. And look, for what it's worth too, I think that CTV inventory is where the future is anyway, right? Because when I talk about watching TV, I'm not really watching TV. I'm watching it through YouTube TV. I'm watching it on Peacock. I'm, you know, it's it's not actual real TV, even though that's the content that I get. And I just, I'm calling it the name of the device, not the actual methodology of the delivery. Um, but but that that is interesting. And, and actually, as we talk, as we're thinking about this, and we're thinking about offline elements, experiments, right? You talked about experiments earlier. How how do you frame experiments around for dr- driving? Um, uh, enrollment uh with with universities when often obviously there's the online side of it but like often they are geo-specific they will have uh as a result you know pre uh pre-contained audiences right like people in california much more likely to go to ucla well that's really hard to do an experiment like are you doing a geo-based match market how, how are you looking at these kind of things yeah yeah i that's that's a really important question right because we have to we have to figure out you know and this really goes back to any good analysis, it, what I would just say any good research mm. um, that, that happens is, you know, being very clear in defining what it is you're analyzing. Uh, you know, that has to be the, the beginning starting point because going into analysis, everyone's expecting different things, you know, yeah. um, and so kind of understanding, you know, what it is we're trying to achieve and putting those parameters in place early on, because you're exactly right. You, you can't, it's impossible to measure absolutely everything. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and to factor in, there's always going to be something that I sometimes refer to as a brand halo effect. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. There's always going to be that kind of ambiguous bit of stuff that's contributing to to enrollment that um, you don't know about. So I would say what you can do, first of all, it's easier to, um, to kind of approach an analysis broadly, like um, let's say across the entire United States, if it is an online program, right? That's yes. definitely a lot easier. But when you start to look at some of the regional institutions, um, there's one client in particular that I'm thinking of at the moment that's um, done some really interesting um, uh, targeting practices. And, and again, going back to the old school, keep keep tagging your campaigns appropriately, mm-hmm. uh, you know, keep doing that because the fact that um, they had tagged it so granularly allowed me to go more granular in the analysis. And actually mm. differentiate that, for example, the military audience was a hidden audience for them that they could really do a lot more with. Um, and, and for example, uh, maybe uh, IP targeting of a certain, we'll say, hospital for RN, you know, to BSN students, uh, things yeah. like that. It, if the data is there, you can glean some of these insights a little bit better. Um, and I always recommend, at least at first, um, approaching it with trying to include as much as you can initially. And then of course, you know, narrow it down, narrow the data set down to what's really important. Um, but, but yeah, that, that's, I think that that's kind of how I would approach that. Um, and, and it is, it is tricky to, you know, try to get all of the, the data points, but, um, yeah, I, I think each, each, uh, situation is a little bit different. I that I, I think you're sort of hitting the nail on the head with the the reality of experiments and the fact that there's always going to be these variables that we can't control for and we try and make you know our, our, our best bet on it but that this is why we have degrees of confidence and not necessarily just like this is i know for sure this is happening right yeah exactly but jim you look pensive <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, I always look that way it's uh ah yes it's it comes with old age um <laughs> You know, there, there's so many things that we could go down and, and so many rabbit holes that we could talk about. Um, before we wrap up, Simon, do you have any other questions or or anything that we're leaving out that we definitely want to cover? 
Oh gosh, I mean, I, f- I feel like we could go on for a for for a while. I, I guess how about this? Like, wh- one of the elements that we talked about we talked about earlier was was the length of the cycle. And in the past, when I've, I've done some work with um, higher institutions, you know, we were very gung ho about this uh, paid media feedback loop that we could have, where we were getting the you know the, the Google um, the Google uh, ID, the Google Ad ID, uh, the the G Cloud, uh, and then passing that back through into Google Ads. But we would always run into the uh, uh, deprecation cycle uh, or the, the retention cycle limit, right? How do you look at that? Given obviously, there's a big focus here on on, on using pay media, but sort of acknowledging that you're only ever going to get part of the story at this moment in time, even though that's such a powerful deterministic signal. Is that still important to you? Yeah, I, I think it it, it is important. Um, you know, I, I would say that um, for 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 myself as as a practitioner in this space for a long time, um, I would respond by saying that I've been gen- genuinely surprised at how um, how we can answer some of that using some of the newer tools in terms of um, the tools being able to kind of pull apart and identify these different um, contributors. This this happened, uh, this ad went out, uh, it had an immediate response, uh, and it contributed to X number of of students. You know, I think some of the tools that can start to pull those pieces apart a little bit more, um, which have been really exciting, uh, you know, I think to dig into that space a little bit, but I would say that I, personally, I've been so impressed with the the capabilities of the tools and and frankly, mm. um, how it solved some of those challenges of the unknown. Um, you mm. know, the things like um, of the consideration cycle, the uh, you know the decay of uh, the decay rate of uh, an individual ad over time. Yeah. You know, um, all of those are factors, and I think I think another piece of this that's that was really exciting to me and, and I find very exciting is that certain packages and, and different um, tools have really simplified the, um, you know, what you need to include, how you need to include it. Uh, yeah. And then, and really leaning a lot on machine learning to, um, to, to do some of that work that would have been very manual, like calculating the, you know, um, you know, the, <laughs> What what it would have been like uh, the the counterfactual? What it would have been like if if we hadn't done this test, for example? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so some of the tools, if they're able to really easily calculate that for you and 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 do it with a high level of accuracy or an acceptable level of accuracy, because one thing that I always mention to my clients um, is that uh, all models are wrong, and some of some models are useful, right? That old quote, um, it's, mm-hmm. it's an important one. But I also share um, another quote that I always also share with my clients uh, is, you know, any um, sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic, um, which I think mm. is also very true because being able to see some of the insights from these tools and these newer, um, newer capabilities, I mean, I, I've been just amazed. I'm, I'm like, wow, I'm like a kid in a candy shop with my mouth open, like, wow, it actually generates this report for you, or I can do this type of analysis and figure this out a little bit easier. Um, But I guess what I'm getting at is that I really love the way that um, the unknown is treated in in some Mm. of these newer tools, because, you know, as you mentioned earlier, Bayesian, the Bayesian approach, you know, I mean, that's kind of the foundation of it is, is having a place for the unknown uh, in the analysis, right? And, And I think that's, remains a very important part. But the fact that you can bring in things like yearly seasonality, um, you know, bringing in uh, variables like holidays, bringing in other variables that might be impacting uh, what's going on and being able to separate it out. um, I think it's very exciting. And um, I think it's one of those things, I feel like you really have to see it to to fully get it and and fully like um, appreciate it. But at least for me, I just appreciate that the technology has advanced this far. Yeah. And when you're talking about the tools, um, to be clear, I think you're referring to things like Meta's Robin, 
or Google's lightweight MMM or even like PyMC marketing. Is that right? Yeah, that's that's right. All of those those tools are, are exactly the ones that I'm yeah. referring to. Even um, some of the um, you know pandas different different packages, mm-hmm. Python, R. Um, you know, you can do a lot with with all of that. I mean, it's it's really amazing. You you don't have to start from scratch with anything anymore. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, super interesting. And, and uh, I, I think we have to leave this topic for another day. But no. where I always struggle, <laughs> I know where I always struggle is with the reality of the signals that we're able to feed back into the ad platforms and the optim because measurement is important, but the feedback loops, you know, it, 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 it's two sides of the measurement coin. Um, but again, we'll leave that for another day. And uh, I've actually, Jim, I've got a three bodies of measurement thing. Maybe we'll, we'll maybe we'll dive into that sometime. Ooh, wow. uh, it's, uh, it's I've been honing it for a few years, and I'd, I'd love to bring it to prime time. But anyway, yeah, so good stuff. So Josh, we, we do like to, uh, to end the show uh, with an incremental insight from our guest, something that uh, that you know that no one else knows or that uh, that you think is uh, especially important. <laughs> Here's where I hide my spare key. <laughs> <Right>. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, you know, it's something that- uh, I haven't paid taxes in five years. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's something that you think uh, marketers and analysts listening or watching uh, can- get some extra information out of something that they can take action after listening or they can, um, you know, a, a book or uh, an article or just some, some special bit of advice that you can offer to them that can, uh, that can help them in their day to day. Do you have something like that for us? Yeah, I do. Definitely. First of all, um, marketing mix modeling is, uh, if you've not checked it out, you got to check it out. It's, it's extremely valuable and can answer a lot of questions that other techniques really can't. Uh, that's the first piece, but the the really the incremental insight it comes from it, uh, where I would say all of my marketing mix modeling clients that I've had over the past year, every single one of them have found that offline uh, channels, out of home, specifically billboards and um, TV, have have been much stronger influences on enrollments than they had ever realized, even even beating Facebook. So um, I think that that was Take a big that, Zuckerberg. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that would be uh, that would be the big um, the big thing uh, is that I would say don't uh, don't overlook your offline channels. Excellent, absolutely. Well, uh, when uh, when the world of uh, of of measurement in the higher ed space, especially when it's associated with an out of home billboard outside of a trustee's house, uh, gets you down. Uh, then it's time to measure up. Well, my friend, you've made it to the end of the show, which means you either found it so riveting you couldn't turn it off, or you're out for a jog and you can't easily hit the skip button on your phone. Either way, if you've enjoyed this episode, please share it with someone you know who would find it helpful. And please, as a personal favor to me, go to iTunes or wherever you listen to this and leave a rating and review. That helps others find us, but more importantly, shows that you're a thought leader who cares about your craft and wants others to join this tribe. 